Captain Cayman! Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain, Michael Cave, and the cave boat did not sink. I know you thought it sank. You haven't seen me in a while. I have uh, John Cachero here, and he helped me scrape off the barnacles, and we are about to set sail on a deep, amazing voyage, and I'm excited to have him. He's an old friend and a dear friend, and we're just going to blow your socks off with this conversation. John, welcome aboard my vessel. How you doing, man? I'm good, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the uh, on the cave boat. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for uh, giving me a reason to set sail. This is absolutely exciting. It really is because I have been itching to get back out there. And what better of a guest than you to embark on this voyage with me? I think we're just going to have a great time. So welcome aboard my cruise ship. Thank you. Thanks again, for sure, man. I've been looking forward to doing this. Okay, so let me familiarize you with a couple of the accommodations on my vessel. So for starters, we have a full menu, food and drink, and we also have a jukebox. So what I need from you before I let you on this vessel is to tell me what you're having to eat for our journey and what you're having to drink. Okay, for sure what I'm having to eat is I hope you have your Japanese chefs ready. I definitely have to have my sushi. I'm very good with any kind of nigiri you, or roll that you have. My favorite type of sushi is white tuna. A nigiri, right? Eating it that way, that is, if you've never had that, it's such a buttery fish, even in its raw state. It's mm. amazing. That's my recommendation. That's going to be my entree that I would love for you to just keep bringing to the table as, you know, as we both need it. As far as my drink goes, other than, of course, a water, I'd have to go with vodka soda, you know, okay. clean, you know, just not clean on the rocks with a lime, make it easy. None of that extra sugary stuff. If I'm going to keep my girlish figure, you got to just keep it, keep it simple. Okay. Sounds good. Hey, John, watch this. Motoko! Motoko! Unda nagile! Ah, ocho, uta! Arabonaja! Arakoso! So it'll be right here and we're going to deliver it via drone. How about that? Oh, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're going to really enjoy eating that. And I hope you brought your stretchy pants because they really do pack a wallop with the sushi cuisine on my, my vessel. So I, I have my stretchy pants in my backpack right now. So we're good. <laughs> so here's your virtual token. I know you're big on music. We're going to get really deep into music, but... With this virtual token, you're putting it in my jukebox. What are you playing for our listeners on this voyage? What I'm going to play, and I'm wondering if you re you'll remember this. Uh, we're going to play specifically one song. It's going to be uh, People Every Day by Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that you had a reaction to that. Uh, as soon as you said that, I knew exactly which one. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. That, or of course, Tennessee, I just, it had to be something Arrested oh. Development because I, I don't know if you remember this, but for a while back when we were classmates, 
you started to give me grief for how much I was enjoying Arrested Development. <laughs> and I, I remember that it, it was all in good fun. It never, it wasn't something that irked me and I hope it didn't actually irk you, but no. I, I definitely remember that. So I was like, oh man, as soon as you said that, I knew exactly what the song was going to be. Well, so for our listeners, and we're about to pick up the anchor here and set sail, but John and I met in middle school. So sixth grade, St. Pius X in Norfolk, Virginia, Halpern Drive. And this was a time in the early 90s, 1991, 1992, where us preteens were really trying to find ourselves culturally. And it didn't matter what color you were, how tall you were, who you hang out with. It was all about music and discovery and then you had this blend of fashion thing that was happening because St. Pius had a phenomenon called the St. Pius Dances, which was uh, just <laughs> coming out party for great music. But it was just a time where people would play music when they're arriving, play music when they're leaving. I remember when Cheryl Haynes, and she'll be listening to this, I'm sure, she rolled up in her Ford, I think it was a station wagon, and her mom was playing ice ice baby <laughs> oh yeah i mean you know that the when that was in the early 90s it was a wild time for music just like Absolutely. you said it was you know that's when you know rap and as far as the rest of development goes you know have that kind of that folk rap style that you know that in a tribe called quest and whatnot was coming out and for us and ultimately in the suburbs where we were right that was everyone all the suburbs across the country had discovered rap and and music like that so it was fresh and new so it was exciting to like listen and just be on top of it like you were discovering it yourself and no one else was well that was a great choice john i'm glad you went there with that we're gonna get into a little bit more about our quote-unquote colored connection uh, a little bit later but i'm gonna put you on the spot here i mean you really passed that test of uh the cuisine and then the what you did with your virtual token with flying colors and too easy so i'm gonna make it a little bit hard on you i'm gonna give you another virtual token here all right i'm ready what you're playing and why oh okay Aha. <laughs> the next one the ongoing theme with this is that these are all songs that i could sing in karaoke so mm -hmm. uh I have been known to also bust out, and this is not my choice because I already did Arrested Development, but I can I can rock out Tennessee by Arrested Development without even looking at the screen. And wow. that is a real good surprise for people when they see me go up to sing and that's the song that I sing. But uh, I'd have to say the other one would have to be Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. That's, that's wow. the next one, man. I mean, we're on a boat trip. I might as well have just some some cheesy fun with it. You went with a one-hit wonder. I am impressed. And yes, sir. I, yes, know, sir. I can see why you would pick that one. That was a great song. It's one of those people that the voice doesn't match who you see in the music video at all. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. All right, man. That's that's great. So thank you for indulging my need to kind of put you on the spot. You passed again. I actually have one more token, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to pop it in and guess what song I'm playing. I want you to guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. No, I think only to set the mood potentially, not for you and me necessarily, but I think you're going to put on some uh, I'm So Into You by SWV. Nope. All nope. right. Nope. But we're going to talk about that song, I think, in particular, 
probably another time because I know you've got a, a hobby that you are giving birth to that is just, I think, going to be great for the community of music lovers. But no, here's the song that I was thinking, Summertime by Will Smith. Ah, uh, yeah. That's a, what a great song. You know, no matter, you can't knock Will nope. for, you know, he's not necessarily the best MC, but man, he knows how to put on those party songs that are undeniably universally loved, right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so we've set sail. Hope you have enjoyed your meal so far. And one of the first ports of call, I think it's really important to touch on because uh, I think this podcast in general and all the listeners out here, all the guests that I've had aboard, one thing they all have in common is that they are absolutely authentic and they find moments to allow themselves to be vulnerable and they own it. And it is just a beautiful thing for me as the navigator to experience. And I think we're going to talk about something here. First off, this podcast, why I did it. I'm going to ask the question and I'm going to answer it for you. I saw a need during this crazy continuing pandemic to use my voice to remind people what it means to connect, what it means to remember your connections and to not be falling for all of this we can't connect nonsense that has been going on for the better part of almost two years now. So I came up with this podcast and I started reminding folks that, hey, look, here's kind of a testament to all of the connections that I've made over my lifetime, not just my professional career, my lifetime. I mean, you and I go back to St. Pius, right? And just it's a way to see how far people have come and what twists and turns their life have uh, taken them on. And the thing about this pandemic that's crazy is the impact on mental health. And what you're starting to see, John, is that it's a big problem. And outside of a pandemic, it was a big problem, but it's magnified now by this pandemic because what the pandemic has forced us to go without is that connection, that human interaction component And for the extroverts, it changes you. For the introverts, it really changes you. So what are your thoughts on that? You're absolutely right. I'm an extrovert for sure. So you can only imagine that being isolated for so many months. And uh, just like yourself, I was fortunate enough to work from home. So that allowed me to stay the entire time. And while getting used to that was nice, I was not paying attention to how not having that other connection uh, to other people was just not energizing us. As you've probably heard before, right? Extroverts get energized when they're around other people and introverts are the opposite and they enjoy the solitude and that's how they get energized. You know, the one thing that the pandemic really did uh, to just rephrase what you were talking about was the pandemic really put a mirror up to everyone because you couldn't escape how you felt about yourself. Uh, So whether you were living by yourself or if you were living with your family, there was no escaping to whatever extracurricular activity you wanted. There was no just going out drinking with friends. There was no going to play ball. You just had yourself and your thoughts. And like you said, that just increased the problem everyone was having psychologically even before the pandemic and just like you said it definitely amplified it and uh that's come to a you know it's really come to a head i think 
now that we have not only quote unquote opened up, but are on the cusp of possibly shutting back down what that could mean, right? Oh, traumatic. Traumatic. Truly catastrophic if it happens, because I think what you saw when people were pushing back as a society and wanting to open up was that people were finding a thousand different ways of saying, I've had enough, I'm done. And what was happening was the people that were saying, no, I still need to be cautious. It was dividing. It was socially dividing society. And, you know, politics magnified that. But outside of that, there's some very real red flags in terms of emotional well-being that people are, I think, suffering in silence. And I think mental health professionals are busier than they've ever been for a lot of different reasons, because you have so many different types of members of society coming undone for different reasons. I needed certain things pre-pandemic and when they evaporated, yeah, that was a big loss. And for me, major losses take a toll on my mental health and they are unfortunately triggers. And I am blessed, I think, with the ability to bounce back if I get the right types of help. So this is me being really vulnerable here and saying, hey, yeah, I've got this podcast, right? Yeah, yep. it's fun. And yes, I have a purpose and it's helped me really refine my purpose and discover my passions. But yeah, the pandemic did a number on me at some point and the Same. isolation just became too much. I had to say something's wrong here. But the thing about when you have struggles with mental health that you have to watch out for is sometimes you lose sight of those warning signs. You get lost in the black you know, and you can't swim towards the white. I'm going yin yang yeah. here, right? No, that's that's exactly right. I, I wanted to yeah. address what you were saying there. So not only is our mental health hurting ourselves, but if you're close to somebody, you're potentially hurting them. And if you aren't admitting your own mental health issues, or you're not even aware why you're acting the way you are because you're not addressing your mental health, the people that are closest to you that you're hurting they don't know how to help you or they're just thinking you're an asshole, right? Uh, there's like, what's going on with that? And that's the tough part because of what you were saying. There's a stigma behind it. Why people are suffering in silence, right? People are suffering in silence because people have this idea that if you go to talk to a therapist or you go to seek a doctor and a psychiatrist about, hey, I don't feel well mentally as if that was going to be a bad thing. We need to get rid of that stigma. I mean, we've I've heard people talking about getting rid of the stigma of mental health for years. But I think, again, the pandemic has really brought it to the forefront. Just like you said, we're divisive. I think people are lashing out because of mental health and they're not recognizing it and making it happen. What happens, like I was saying, with how we affect our loved ones or those close to us is that if you don't know you have the mental health problem, you're not seeking help. If you had a broken arm, the, those closest to you wouldn't then burden you with a, hey, can you can you carry this box? Why can't you carry this box? Just carry the box. They would never do that because they can see that. Whereas with mental health problems, there's no signifier if they're not thinking of those terms. And if you're not thinking in those terms, then that part of it is like, well, why can't you just be happier? Why can't you just go be productive right now, 
that is where people have that disconnect. And, and until people learn more about mental health, I think they'll continue to suffer in silence, like you said. Yeah, that's an interesting statement there, John. It really is, because if you're talking about people close to you and family and you know, family dynamics are different with every single family, just like there's different levels of mental illness. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all, but your emotions are something that it's a balancing act and you can tilt either way and it's positive and it's negative, but those regulators, sometimes they're very much tied to your environment. And guess what happened to our environment during COVID? Yeah. It's blown to fucking smithereens. I mean, That's right. Keep it real here. And you started seeing it manifest itself in ways that I don't think anybody was prepared for. And there were people that sought help. But the scary part of it is the resources to provide that help got overburdened. And then you have this situation where people are starting to have to wait. Right. Right. And then yeah, absolutely. You can't go talk to somebody. Right. That's or right. You have to go to the emergency room. And how humiliating yep. is that? Well, the question yep. is, how bad off are you? Right. You know, are you suicidal? Uh, are you, you know, anxiety through the roof? Who knows? But the bottom line is the perception that family have on somebody's well-being comes out in some cases, something like this. We're all struggling. What, what makes you special? <laughs> yeah. You know, especially if somebody's potentially suicidal. It's just... It's just not what you need to hear, but it's that dismissive, oh, I didn't really understand that you were really struggling, or why can't you pull yourself out of that funk? Well, it's chemical in a lot of cases for a lot of different people. That's right. And, and everybody has different triggers. And the isolation is what I'm seeing is having the biggest impact on folks. People, I think, in California, when they tried to open up, people were just right at the door when the gates were about to open because they were like, I'm done. I need to get out. If it were storming outside, people didn't care. They would eat in the rain because they had to get out. Being confined to your house, that messes with your psyche. It really does. And then Absolutely. feeling like you have no options. And if you're a family person, which I think we both are, and then whether it's government or whether it's just the circumstances are telling you you shouldn't connect with people because something bad will happen to you it's isolating it's defeating you know and then depending on what time of the year it is if it's dark early uh and it's dark when you wake up and it's dark when you go to bed that wears on you seasonal mood disorder it's just absolutely it's, it's tough stuff so i hope that the listeners are nodding saying yeah i can relate to that i had my own challenges i didn't tell anybody but and some people don't get help. Some people power through it. But is that right for everybody? So here's the thing that I think. Uh, one, while we had talked about it, so we don't skip completely over it. If someone is talking about their feeling suicidal, that is a big flag. Don't yes. ignore that. Also, in yourself, if you've thought, hmm, if you've had suicidal ideation or you are the one that said, to somebody that you feel suicidal and you're not just doing that for attention, which most of the time someone's not. And if someone's like claiming that, like whether you think that person is doing it for attention or not, when that comes out of their mouth, you have to treat it as such. And you need to take that person to the side and ask them, hey, what's going on? Or if it's yourself, hey, you know, honestly, I can't believe I just said that. I really need to talk to somebody. 
you know, where I work, we have a lot of good seminars where we all just get together, have a town hall. The last one that we had was about mental health. And I was very vocal on it because, you know, seeing a therapist saved my life. I don't doubt that for a second and definitely helped me get through the pandemic. But at the heart of it, what some people don't understand, which is so nice about therapy, is the idea of truly speaking your mind to someone that has nothing to do with you, right? You can tell this person, even though you're paying them, right? There are They are a stranger that is there to listen and allows you to get all your thoughts out that you can't express to anybody because you're worried about the repercussions. That's the thing that therapy is so good about is you're just gonna say what you need to say and just letting those words or thoughts get out of your brain to someone that has no, will have no lasting impact on a relationship is amazing. Cause right, obviously some of us have, you know, spouses, some of us have boyfriend, girlfriend, you have your friends, even coworkers, they're all, no matter how close or far apart they are, they have stake in you. Yes. I and that's where the therapists come in where yeah. you can just talk to them. It's just someone to talk to honestly. Yeah. I kind of think, John, that pride is a big problem. You have to look at mental health as very closely tied to the stages of grief where you could be in denial about something. Let's take suicidal ideations. You could be in denial that you actually were thinking that, you know, and I think the quicker you get to acceptance on that, the better, because there's paths based on what you thought and what you said and what you were willing to do or what you were willing to think about. There's paths that you are confronted with and that scares the shit out of you, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because you could be hospitalized. You could have things taken away from you if you own weapons. Uh, but that shaming part of our culture, like really, seriously, get yourself together, man up or whatever it is that people say to folks that, you know, where people, people don't know what they don't know. People, it's like with infertility with me, yeah. people didn't understand that world. So whatever they say, they probably should have thought twice, but they said it because they don't know, you know, it's That's easy exactly. for them to have kids. You have a lot of people talking about things that they don't, you know, both would like you said, infertility, just mental health. If they aren't experiencing, they don't know it. And if they don't go out to learn about it, even within themselves, then they have no idea what's going on. They don't know. And I think that should be addressed. Something that you said, as far as pride goes and seeking help, you know, yeah. uh, even just let's not, let's take the suicide off the table, just mental health in general, right? I think that's, it's cultural, right? In the black community, in the Asian community, just like you said, what's our family going to say? We all, we're all struggling. What's wrong with you? What, what, what makes you more than me, right? So that is a problem. I think there's a greater problem also just men in general, right? You right. are supposed to be the strong one. You're supposed to not feel this way. You're not supposed to have feelings. Just do what you're supposed to do. And that's not how life really works, right? You can't stuff all of that down or hide behind it. You know, a lot of people's bad habits or their um, vices that they have ultimately is just running away from a problem that they don't want to face. And again, to bring it back around, that, the pandemic brought that to a head 
for a lot of people. They mm -hmm. could not run away from their thoughts because they were so isolated, right? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like the isolation caused some people to evolve and then it caused others to level set about the extent or lack of extent of their relationships with folks. Like, let's just take married couples. Guess what went through the roof during the pandemic? Divorce rates. Divorces. Yep. I don't like your ass anymore. Yeah. <laughs> especially especially when I have to spend all day with you. Yeah. And <laughs> every day. It's crazy. But I'm a big believer in frequencies. And I think frequencies regulate so many aspects of our lives, including our emotional balance. So you have this thing dangling out here called the pandemic. And it caused a lot of people to lose their way. And yeah, there's a chemical imbalance that happens, but there's things that you can do to uplift yourself, you know? So let's just say the world is humanity. All of humanity was down because there was no place on this planet that you could go without being impacted by COVID, right? Yep. So huge problem that we have going on here, but look at professional athletes that have acknowledged struggled with mental health recently in the Olympics, Simone Biles, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. then uh, the uh, Osaka tennis player. Mm -hmm. And what happened to them? They got shamed for, quote unquote, taking the easy way out instead of just toughening up and getting through it. But what if that balance, that frequency being where it needed to be, was the key to their success? Why would they proceed? I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, I, I loved what happened after that, despite all the shaming, right? There were so many athletes at the same time coming out saying, I wish I had the courage to do that, yeah. right? Yeah. Because people did, because the shame was so great, they persevered through it and potentially harmed themselves physically, harmed themselves emotionally, and sometimes both. And while you know none of us can ever understand what it's like to be in Simone Biles' shoes, that's period as a high level athlete. And then the face of USA Olympics this year, that's some pressure that no one could possibly understand. Right. right? In the previous Olympics, there was Phelps and you had all these other high, great big names, right? To also to spread around that focus. And it was all on her. I mean, you know, I'll be honest. I had a little bit of it. I was a little bit. I was like, damn that well that's kind of disappointing but from a standpoint of someone that's played team sports if you aren't going to bring it and potentially bring down the team then yeah sit your ass on the bench yep that's how it works yep. so you know while we didn't necessarily get the gold i mean you know her mental health is important and i believe there's no way she made this decision in a bubble she asked she talked to her coaches mm -hmm. they allowed it to happen so whatever you will say she and osaka they made the right decisions to to acknowledge it and hopefully this will change the narrative again it's it all comes down to what i was saying about and what people have been saying the, the stigma of mental health it's real i know you and i know in our own lives and probably yeah. mutual friends who we know should be in therapy even just for a little bit, right? It's like, hey, yeah, hey, why don't you just go go twice? See, find, find, find out what happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think you bring up a, a very valid point, John. It is 
that's why I keep coming back to frequencies because everybody's formula to balance is different. Sometimes it's therapy. Sometimes it's therapy plus medication. It's back to basics because when you have a mental health breakdown and you have challenges around your mental health, you can't find that true north. You need to understand that you're not supposed to do it alone. There's people that can help you. And part of the help is to get an accurate diagnosis, to get an accurate assessment of what is going on. And getting back to your point about being able to tell that therapist everything because they're not biased. That will help you get an accurate diagnosis. Don't lead them down some path that is inaccurate because that's not going to fix you. That's not going to get you back to that balance, back to that feeling good. I got to the point, I think at some point during the pandemic where I could just feel that something was off and there were all these other data points that were showing that something was off. I happen to have a great support system, really great friend that can help and are willing to help. And they're there for me. And I'm grateful for that. Really and quick, I, Mike, I, are you in therapy? I, I'm making real assumptions that you are. Do you, are you seeing a therapist or no? Uh, no, I, I was, but uh, I actually recently just hopped off. Uh, okay. But, you know, my, my thing is uh, I realized that it was an important part of my maintenance plan. Yeah. And the thing about the stages of grief, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, those are things that you could cycle through for a variety of reasons. And sometimes the triggers are what cause you to cycle or spiral. Yeah, and for, for me, sure. seeing a therapist, I think it, it really was a, a source of validation that, hey, yeah, you are getting back to the Michael that you, you know, you can be or that you need to be because there's all these different things that people depend on for you, but you have to take care of yourself. And so my formula is maintenance and maintenance comes in a variety of different forms, whether it's exercise, whether it's reaching out to people that are important to you, boundaries, boundaries are key because in a work from home environment, the, the thing that kind of caught me for a loop was crap you can literally roll out of bed and start working and you start blurring those lines and that gets dangerously unhealthy for know? sure because i know i know that exactly meetings I, oh my gosh yeah i mean it's so simple as even after you clock out and you're like yeah you know what though so I don't have to do this work tomorrow. Let me just go ahead and knock it out because I'm right here. Here's everything I need to do for work. And I can just knock out whatever report needs to be done. So I'm not doing it. And then that's unhealthy, just like you're saying. But at the same time, you should be getting paid for that. And yeah. <laughs> there you are doing that, right? Well, now I have a morning routine and I've deviated from it. And I can feel when I've deviated too much from it. So I'm able to snap out of that shit and say, you know what? Have your me time in the morning, spend time with your family, listen to music, use the Daily Calm app, which is great Monday through Friday, just so you know, and chase your passions, whether it's learning piano, whether it's just geeking out with research or whether it's just going outside and just reflecting on the blessing that is waking up to a yeah. day, another adventure. So uh, I think uh, going through therapy allowed me to 
achieve that balance and then maintain that balance and own it to where, because when you have challenges with mental health, it's almost like when people have a heart attack, you're exhausted after a heart attack. Oh, for sure. Or when you have surgery, you, you have to relearn things, right? You have to build up your stamina again. Well, your, your mental health is no different. It's, it's got a, a battery. It's, it's got a meter and it can get depleted, which is where you get exhaustion, which is where you get health manifestations of uh, different types of stress and things get scary. So I have run into folks along this pandemic where they're different. And I know exactly why they're different. You know? Yeah. And, and it has a lot to do with they're an extrovert. They like people. This has to be hard on them. Good God. I hope they're okay. Right. Yeah. I have a, a perfect example of that. So, like I told you, and because you keep it real on this podcast, I, I'm going to be fully vulnerable here. So, amazingly enough, I'm currently not in therapy. I'm between therapists. Right. So, that that's something that people need to understand about therapy is like, if that therapist isn't working for you, you can switch or you can stop or you and then you can start back up if you need to. Like that's the beauty of that part. You work on your mental health as you need to. But as long as you recognize it and are not afraid because of pride, because of why someone will think you should see and figure out whether you need a therapist and you will know when you don't need to. Now, in my case, my therapist was great. She was really good with helping me unravel the past that was affecting me as an adult in the present, right? Mm -hmm. And she was great at that. But what I also suffer from, Mike, I have adult ADHD and I didn't realize that. And my wife and my mother-in-law, they recognized it and were trying to get me to understand that I had ADHD. It was like, oh, whatever. I'm just, I'm just how I am. I did, my brain is all over the place because I, you know, because I have all these great thoughts and blah, 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 all those excuses I gave to myself. But once I was formally diagnosed and I really looked into it myself and through my therapist, I realized, wow, I once that it was like it truly was like a light bulb turning on and letting me see my life from a whole different perspective when it clicked for me, I could go back to certain points in my life that I remembered and understand it was the ADHD that caused me to have that reaction, to make that decision versus not having it, right? Yeah. So with ADHD, you just have an atypical brain. And so for everyone else that has ADHD, this is my favorite way to be able to explain it to everyone. So if you have a typical brain, your brain is able to retain information like a Home Depot bucket like a five gallon bucket. You've seen them. They're all orange. Yep. Home Depot gives them away like it's free. A typical brain can keep all that stuff in there. You can think about, I got to take care of the triplets today. The tr this triplet has this to do. This triplet has this to do. Also, the laundry still has to be done. And the emergency of talking to the realtor is all maintained in your bucket. For someone who has an atypical brain like myself, an ADHD brain is like having a shallow soup bowl that you have, like that's right in front of me that they served to me right before the sushi on our boat. That shallow soup bowl, I can think and care very much about, hey, that pile of mulch has been sitting out in the driveway a little too long. And I'm like, in that moment, I know the importance of taking care of it and to take care of it. 
But as soon as an emergency or something more important comes out, if that comes into my soup bowl, what happens, Mike? You just, that's the, the new focus. That's the new focus. The mulch is not not important, but my brain doesn't hold it as something that is important anymore because the next thing that's important is there. And that's what suffers. You'd be surprised. I'm sure there are a lot of people that have ADHD as an adult and don't realize how impactful that is on their life. You know, so for me, and just when we were growing up, right, Mike, that was not diagnosed to a lot of people like it is now. And, and people argue that it's overdiagnosed. If people are getting properly diagnosed, like I didn't get diagnosed with it because I was a good student. I was a great student, right? You know, I was, was a great smart. student. That's why you call me Noggin. Yeah, there you go. That's why they call me Noggin. And great student, athlete, yep. had friends yep. all through high school, right? All that stuff. Nothing that would indicate that I had ADHD. But looking back and having talking about it, I clearly had ADHD the whole time, but it was masked, right? And so now, though, as a 40-year-old, only now discovering that I have it, I can't tell you how impactful the struggle is to have ADHD when there are so many responsibilities that you now have as an adult versus when you have ADHD as a child, right? Or as a yeah. teenager. So that's been my major struggle. And that's why I'm between therapists. My therapist that I had, I was able to unravel, you know, some of the things that happened to me as a child that impact me now, but she was not equipped to help me with the ADHD. And in fact, I'm on the search for another therapist. And that's why I'm in between therapists. But I know that is the next stage of my mental health development is to get into a therapist that specializes specifically for people that have ADHD. Mm, wow. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and allowing yourself to be vulnerable. I would imagine that at that juncture in your life, that had to be a jolt to your system to have that diagnosis because like you said you built up this life with all these dependencies bills family you know commitments as a father commitments to your job and then you start reflecting and then those reflections could cause you to have feelings of guilt but there's nothing you can do there's no life dvr that you can rewind and change factoring in that you have this diagnosis all you can do is kind of move forward, right? Some people don't want to get diagnosed because they're afraid of the consequences. Dude, the best thing that could have happened to me was we had, so again, my, my wife and my mother-in-law could sense in my oldest daughter that she had ADHD tendencies. So we had her professionally, psycho psychologically evaluated by a professional. When we went in for the results, the three of us, and she started explaining what was going on in my daughter's brain, that she did have ADHD. You can see me in video, but to describe, I could see sitting in there, I started crossing my arms and I basically was listening to her describe, although she was describing my daughter, she was describing me. Yeah. And, it, and, and at that moment, wow. I was like, I need to be psychologically evaluated to confirm that this is what's happening and that that's why all of these things are the way they are. Because I will tell you, and I'm sure plenty of people that are listening, if they've ever had this thought, it's a very defeating thought. Why am I the way I am? Mm. One of the things that 
I struggle as ADHD and how a lot of people with ADHD struggle is anything in particular that you're trying hard at. And if your ADHD is preventing you from that, it's very frustrating. And that frustration leads to self-loathing. That self-loathing leads to, you know, being unchecked. That was the greatest gift that was given to me was that moment when I recognized she was describing me and I decided that I needed to nut up and get psychologically evaluated to find out all the things that are messed up with me. And once I did that, man, I'm on the road to recovery now. Now I can I can understand why I'm doing something. This is why I journal all the time, just getting those thoughts out of my brain, out of the soup bowl. So that's now it's on the table. Great. It's in a different soup bowl. And I know that that's something to come back to. Wow, John, thanks for sharing that about you and your daughter and the connections. I can relate. I think for my middle daughter, Emma, I always worry. I mean, she's so sensitive. She's always crying about something, but maybe it's as simple as what the hell happened in the womb. She was sandwiched between Christopher, who's a handful, and Michaela, who's a handful. She doesn't like to be touched by them. She likes her me time, but she's just really, really sensitive. And I just, I worry that one of these days we're going to have to look into some stuff, but I'm going to stay optimistic. I have three different personalities to manage no matter what, and it's hard to not compare them. So I have a different reality. But to your point about you're there listening to your daughter's assessment and you're saying, that's totally me. It's like, what do we pass on to our children? Is oh, for sure. The main thing. For I, I sure. That it's just as a parent, you you want your kids to have things better than you had them. Even if you had them good, you always want them to not have to learn the lessons that you learned. But mental health is mental health. And diagnoses are, are something that I think culturally we're just going to have to get familiar with. But to your point about you were popular in school you were an athlete at pious you were an athlete john and so was <laughs> i but you and i were two of three people that we coined ourselves as what the colored connection because we all had dark skin and before i joined the party you and nelson arellano were the asian invasion and you two were the sharpest shooting folks on the basketball team and you guys were just amazing and i don't know i brought something to that dynamic but you had a great shot and you both knew how to run that offense that basketball offense and i didn't have the type of performances that you all had but i i was a, i was almost a role player before. well you know you and that's the importance of coaching right they knew the strengths that we had and i would argue that be like you said because Nelson and I could run the offense so well, it became tailored for us, right? Yeah. So where that wasn't necessarily fair to everyone, that that's ultimately good coaching, right? And that's not to say someone else wasn't as athletic or whatever. It was just by circumstance, right? If you're in, if you're running the triangle offense and you're in the triangle and you're the main, that's what happens, right? Yeah. But as a team, we were good about it. And man, I, I love those days. But what happened with me was that was the the extent of the height that I grew. <laughs> and so in middle school, having played mostly, you know, the three spot and ridiculously the four spot, 
I didn't have the handles that I needed to succeed in high school. So my high school playing days was pushed aside to having to play rec ball. And I went to rec ball and I had a terrible coach that only wanted his son to be the star. And I was like, I'm done. So I just, you know, it's pick up basketball for me. How about you? What was your path after? You were big in baseball, right? I was big in baseball, but what was funny was I wasn't very tall in eighth grade either. And I had my growth spurt that summer. And then I came back with, I think Byron Whitehead was there. I was there. Philip Shea was there. We came back and we played against the next wave of pious basketball folks. And the coach had remarked, I wish you were this size last year. I was like, yeah, me too, because I had new abilities with that new height, but Getting back to the role that I had in that team, what was interesting was we ran the same play (laughs) to lead off every game, and I would loop around. Yeah, and that was the three. That was I would always hit that shot. Yeah, man, it was weird, but it was great, right? It it was that was tailored for you, and we knew we could run it. Yeah, and that always set that off because as simple as a play it was, it was so dynamic for that that you, you know for that. Uh, age level, I guess, right? To have you going along the baseline. Yeah, we knew exactly what to do. And you did. You would nail that shot every time. Every and that was, time. it's it sparked us every time. It was like, cool, let's run this. Mike's going to nail it. We're going to be ahead. Then we, then we, <laughs> then we trudge them down with, uh, with uh, all the other plays, you know? Well, what was interesting about that whole experience was the, the value of coaching and the, value of a coach that recognized that there were strong teams and you had to put together a game plan in order to try to beat them and if you looked at our record it was like 10 and 4 because we always lost to blessed sacrament and we always lost to saint gregory's but we the only games out of everybody else that's right and we just could not overcome those two teams we lost both games but at both times for two seasons it was infuriating but who were we preparing against with Blessed Sacrament? Schultz and Sweeney. Yeah, man. I was going to say Sweeney. I forgot Schultz's name, but yeah, Schultz? Sweeney. He was an assassin. He was deadly. He was a really good basketball player. But it was those two that we prepared for, and they would bring people in to emulate them. Yep. But they had other people. They had Byron Whitehead. Shout out to yep. Byron. They had Benji for Flores, sure. who was a fast son of a bitch. Shout out to right. Benji. They, yep. they, they had depth. But For sure. those games were very exciting. Those games were things that people came to see because they knew it was going to be competitive. And I think we gave it our all, but St. Gregory's, man, they, they, they had two guys. Oh, yeah. They were sharpshooters, man. Oh, my they God. Could, they could shoot from anywhere. It was wild. We would double team. It didn't matter. They would figure out how to get him open, and he'd just take the shot. He was, you know, Curry-esque. But they uh, were poised under so much pressure. Yeah. You know, and our coach wasn't afraid to use his bench. If you screwed up, you got yanked. Yeah. But it wasn't for the whole game. They gave you a chance to reflect. And this was what I think looking back at all this, it was they knew what they were doing with us. They knew what our strengths were. They knew what our weaknesses were. They knew the value of practice. I don't miss those rat races with the bricks. (laughs) (laughs) I know, dude. Oh, my my God. God, The bricks. I love it. We got in such great shape, right? We did. Yeah. But then there were those teams like, Christ the King, where we prepared for one man, Lance Green. And the yeah. coach would say, he's going to get 40 points a game no matter what. And he did, but we beat him. 
Oh yeah. And I would have in those two games, 14 points for whatever reason, whatever choke artist stuff was happening the rest of the season would evaporate for Christ the King. So that was my moment. And I made that TCBY all-stars team. Oh yeah. Um, I think for a couple of reasons, but one of them was because I got really sick at one point during the season and I was out of school. That was like, I, I had perfect attendance all four years of high school. I remember that. And uh, I got so sick that I think, I don't know if it was mono, it was a virus, but I couldn't practice. Uh, I missed the team. And then when I came back, I was still not quite right, but I was fighting, right? Yeah. And I was trying to reestablish my role because, you know, that team concept was everything, right? Yeah, dude, I mean, that's just in general, right? The value of team sports. I can't express that enough. I, my, my daughters, I want to make sure my daughters are into horses so that, and they have teams, so to speak, just like how gymnasts are in that way or teams. But I want to make sure that they get to experience team sports because, you know, sports are so important to your, your building of you know your team building your ability to work with others that just carries you into the future and like you said it's damn good exercise right so to to finish answering your question about what happened to the rest of my basketball journey i ended up becoming kind of a specialist uh, getting really good at shooting getting really creative as far as uh exploiting weaknesses of the other team but as a street ball person I, I didn't try to do high school basketball but I I did have a reputation for being somebody that you wanted on the team like you know if you're playing street ball in Norfolk Virginia when you go to the court and they're picking teams they they pick people based on strengths it was no oh yeah secret. and they're like this guy he has a set shot but we need him on our team and it was I was a streak shooter as well. So if I was off, I was off. It was just, why are you even here, dude? But if I was on, it was like, give that guy the ball. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Speaking of street ball, like I, you know, just if I was rolling into a a group that didn't know who I was, you know, I would never get picked right away. But once I was on the court, I knew exactly, you know, I had what I loved. And this, again, comes from the coaching, right? I had good court awareness. Right. I knew I was like, okay, I, I was quickly assessing my own team to figure out what I was gonna do. I was like, if so it was hot, I'm 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 just gonna assist to him the whole time. If I can if I can drive and not get stuffed because I was so short, then I'm gonna do it. You know, it's uh God, I love basketball. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I I'm I miss it, bro. I miss it. Me too. And one of the things I think that basketball gave me growing up in Norfolk growing up in not a great neighborhood was it gave me some level of relationship credibility where people knew me as somebody that was easy to work with on the court. So when you get back to other situations, like at school, you kind of get a, a free pass of sorts and you don't get bullied or messed with because they know that they need you on the court for something. Yeah, for sure. Don't, don't piss you off. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's, a, it's truly a fraternity, you know, it is. team sports is a fraternity. You are a fraternity. You're protected by each other. Uh, that extends out, like you're saying, like into the classroom and people just know. And it's a, it's it's very important to, again, to, to tie it up to what we were talking in the last segment to mental health, right? Yeah. It's just like, oh, all right, this, this feels good. I belong, right? Well, that basketball team was my family. We spent a lot of time together doing battle with uh, our, our nemesis, 
St. Gregory's and our nemesis, <laughs> Blessed Sacrament. <laughs> we we were close, but just the pious connection in general is strong. I mean, look at how many people still keep in touch. You know, we're all a family. We all look out for one another. Uh, we've seen some stuff being posted recently about someone's mom having surgery. We all take time out of our day and recognize what is important about that, which is, hey, that's a family member's mom. You know, show yeah. some love, say some prayers. So For sure. You know, but let's talk about family real quick. I mean, uh, you're a dad. I'm a dad. What, what what motivates you as a father to be the best dad that you can be? You know, well, you know, I, I can speak on that because to preface this, I do have a really good relationship with my dad now. Mm-hmm. Right. But as the fifth of five and clearly unexpected right so the closest sibling to me i don't know if you remember this is eight years older than i am right so going through saint pius all of my siblings went and then i came along eight years later and there were still the same teachers there so like wow all right another cachero is coming through you know by that time i can only imagine and you got that really fast having triplets uh, you know the you only know the chaos of having multiple kids let alone having five children like what in the i couldn't even imagine having five children let alone three i don't want to get outnumbered by like two (laughs) two is perfect two is perfect you know so by that time what had happened and and now that i'm 42 my parents had me when they were 40 and 41 and i i think about that and i can i can relate i was like okay if we accidentally had a child right now yeah totally we would have that child Right. And there would be an age difference. But what had happened, and as I've discovered and gotten closer to my other siblings, my dad really wasn't around. He didn't raise us. And so because I didn't have that guidance from him, I am hellbent to make sure that my kids get what I did not get from my father that caused whatever personality issues or, you know, irrational decisions that I made throughout my life doesn't happen to them, right? It's tough because they're both daughters. So there's a little bit of that. uh, Well, I'm a boy, so I'm not, you know, I'm I'm navigating waters that are are tough, but that's the same with any father and their daughters, right? I'm I'm sure you can tell that you have, you're like, okay, I understand what's going on with the boy, but hey, this, this girl stuff, hey, you need to tag in on that, right? Which is funny, too, because as the youngest, I can sympathize better with my youngest when there's issues because that is my experience, right? I don't have the experience as being at all an older child, let alone the oldest child. How about yourself? I am actually, I have five sisters and one brother, and I'm the youngest of seven. So, yeah. There, you know exactly I, what I'm talking about. Then. There's something that comes with being the baby and yeah. perceptions of what you got that somebody else didn't get. Oh, God. But to your point of your father not being around, my father wasn't around either when I was growing up, but he was serving our country. He was in the Navy. But right. that still was a, an absence. Uh, that was same, same, same with my dad. He yeah. was he was in the Navy, so he was providing, but he yep. wasn't there. Yep. You know. Yep. And when he was there and I would screw up, it would 
the uh, a very stern what the fuck are you doing man what are you talking to and yeah. i'm kind of the same way it was like what the fuck are you doing christopher <laughs> but yeah right the idea is that i i can relate to what you're saying you are hell-bent on making sure that they have that foundational guidance to know right from wrong to be able to understand cause and effect and to be comfortable in their own skin but at the same time have that awareness that situational awareness and it's tough in this day and age because you and i grew up in the 80s and then we had our teenage years in the 90s well let's talk about the 80s real quick and how it relates to everything that we're talking about here we were drinking out of hoses on the sides of houses probably taking a whiz on sides of houses we were staying out till the street lights came on we were venturing places now doing that kind of shit man it's risky business because i don't know there's some weird stuff out there dude i'll tell you i don't know if you knew about this epic journey myself nelson joe and glenn we biked from norfolk down shore drive to the beach damn uh what after the summer after our eighth grade year wow there is no way in hell i would let my kids do that and and to be fair i think our parents wouldn't have let us do that but we did it and we did it and we survived but you know that type of thing no way right i i feel the same it's it's so i don't know you know that's the tough part i don't know how it became that way that we are you know because you and i experienced that you would think that we would not be so uppity and so protective but for sure something has changed in which you're like no no fucking way is that gonna happen no way are you gonna spend the night yeah sleepovers oh it's like why can't i sleep i was like we don't know that family god forbid they have older siblings right it's like we need to know before that even becomes something now to be so my kids are now 11 and 7 so the 11 year old does have hey you said wow there are people i can't believe we know people that have kids that are graduating high school that's blowing my mind right but i I appreciate you said that (laughs) but (laughs) as far as sleepovers go for sure we need to meet the parents if there's if there are siblings we need to meet those siblings it is a wild world that's out there and that's you know for us you had mentioned it about specifically the 80s i don't know i so i mentioned it in my own podcast in my intro have you heard of the term exennial? Uh, I, I think this is uh, in kind passing. Of yeah. So we, you and I, we are exennials. So born 1978 to about 1982, that four year period, yep. we are right in between Gen X and the millennials. Yeah. In that we grew up in an analog world, you know, going out to play. Even though we have video games, I would much prefer to have been playing basketball with my friends, right? And then we went to college and we had the full internet. So we have this incredible perspective as exennials. And I love that part. And that's why I love giving my perspective from that point of view. Yeah. Well, I think it's important as fathers, as people with families to pass on the awareness of the importance of family the importance of knowing that family isn't everything it's these folks have your back getting your kids exposed to what love feels like and what i'm really working on and struggling with to be quite honest with you is they haven't been back east yet i think that is going to be very eye-opening for them to see what made me me and oh yeah my 
my family on the the east coast which is that's a significant chunk of my life back east and uh what's been tough has been getting them comfortable with the idea that yeah sometimes you're going to be hungry and there's nothing you can do about it sometimes you're going to be given something that you don't like or you didn't ask for and having them be sensitive to the fact that their reality is going to change not just after i'm long gone but it's gonna change as you have new friends as you you know as family members pass on that's why that bond is so important and that's why making quality memories is important and now we have to make quality memories or at least try during a fucking pandemic that doesn't make a hill of sense to even the most logical person i mean it's oh, yeah. just not computing and i don't like the fact that my kids have covid as a part of their vocabulary i don't yeah you know i agree you know my oldest daughter was talking about the delta variant and their intelligent kids and they're they were it's like is this what life is gonna be like forever it's like honey you know honestly i can't answer that question i don't know we <laughs> that can become a whole different conversation that we don't need to touch but you know back to what you were saying yeah covid being in our vocabulary is wild that we experience such a uh, well you know truly you know pandemic worldwide you know, phenomena that is happening to all of us is unfortunately what they're having to navigate through. And we're figuring it out ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I just know everything that it took to have these kids and we can't predict, even if you're fortunate enough to have children, we can't predict what their reality is gonna be. We can influence it as much as we can but there are curveballs thrown in this life and right now i think we've all as parents been thrown a curveball and the best that you can do is really protect and grow and strengthen i think your family nucleus i, I want to be very deliberate in that particular statement because you get one crack i think at making quality memories and if you blow it you look in the mirror and just point this finger back at yourself most times you know because in this covid era there are things that you can do to forge a strong bond with uh, your, your family you know you can cut through things uh, because we have to connect you know and there are these things happening that are compromising what used to be just natural bonds you know like family bonds and Think about what that means. Think about what I just said as far as layer one, you know, the bond that you have your your first five years with your children. You know, you could screw that up really, and then that could have lasting impacts. Well, now you have this layer of pandemic and school and working parents and, you know, are your kids social? Like mine are very social, so it was hard for them to not run up to other kids and interact. However, I got some other things with my kids that are interesting that are going to be magnified when we get back to Norfolk, when we get back to Maryland. Guess what? All three of my kids have different skin tones. <laughs> yeah. Emma's yeah. almost as dark as me. Christopher's as white as my wife, right? Right. Right. Angelique. And Michaela's kind of like this beautiful mocha. And yeah. they're starting to point that stuff out. And right. 
they're also starting to understand that you know there's something to be proud about the fact that i'm a product of both of you right right so i mean that's you know that's the same thing with me i also have a white wife right so how much have you given thought about how well obviously you're talking about it right now right that our children are going to have to understand and be proud of both racial identities how will their schoolmates treat them why will they treat them well you know with your three really truly perfectly you and your wife and then combined and then that's how their skin color turned out uh, it will one be more favored over the other and all this other bs about that stuff that they're gonna have to traverse but you know what the good thing is the truth is that's becoming more and more the norm right uh mixed race children you have beautiful children uh, my daughters are beautiful. You know, they they really seem to have gotten the best of both of our genes. And I really hope, and they haven't experienced it yet, but, you know, I, my daughter going into middle school, you know, this upcoming year will be really, is that when we're going to see their racial identity yeah. be tested? Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's tough stuff. I mean... I have always been sensitive to bullying. I, I don't like it. I, I don't tolerate it. I won't tolerate it. Our children are an extension of us. So I'm trying to prepare them for what's coming, which is this stuff was happening when we were growing up. And there's so many more tools in place now to intervene if somebody speaks up. We didn't have any of that. You and I had to navigate it. We just had to navigate it. You know, and you could only hope that everybody just saw the bigger picture and just squashed it because it's, it's absolutely nonsense. Some of the stuff you have to deal with where people's feelings get hurt over how dark they are or, you know, their clothes are dirty or they don't have name brand stuff when you get to wear non-uniform attire, you know, <laughs> weird stuff. But, you know, our kids are so social that they're going to have lots of opportunities to make lots of different connections, but keeping them grounded in the reality that people have feelings. And now more than ever, it's important to recognize that you might be trying to interact and build connections with folks that have compromised feelings, you know, where they're on edge for whatever reason, where you just think twice before you lead with something that's insulting because you never know uh, what state somebody's in. Yeah. Right? Bring it right scary. back to the mental mental health. mental health, man. It's for sure. Like you just never know what's going on in someone's personal life, you nope. know, and, and that's where it is. And you you can only hope that the next parent is raising their children the way that you're raising yours. Right. And, and or being raised at all by their parents in a, in a world where they can be thrown in front of an iPad and, and they call that parenting. You know, it, it's tough. And, um, you know, the best we can do and. You know, bringing back to my uh, two two big points about fatherhood, and you know, specifically how I'm raising my children. One, especially because they're female, that I need to show them that I respect them and their mother, so that they know to respect themselves. And if they respect themselves, they won't let anyone else disrespect them. Right. right. So be it some boy or even a girl that is trying to take advantage of them. No, you're not going to disrespect me. I am deserving of respect. And then the second one has always been my 
way that I knew I wanted to raise my children, even before I was married, before even thinking about having family, I just knew I just want to grow up. I just want to raise children that don't, that don't turn out to be assholes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think there's something to be said about that. And for me, it is, uh, I want to raise kids that are passionate about what they do and happy, comfortable in their own skin. I'm not saying be me. I'm not saying get a bunch of degrees and do all these things that I've done. Find your path and own it. Own the yeah. good, own the bad, own the ugly, but I'll be there to support yeah. you because I don't want to say you have to be a doctor, you have to be this, you have to be that. All I want them to know is there's consequences to not doing certain things. There's even consequences to not pursuing what it means to be truly happy with what you do i mean most of us are fortunate if we like our jobs if we like what yeah. we do if we like the people we work with who guess what are we work with them so much they become a form of family you know but be happy with what you're doing and do your best that's all i can really ask for productive members of society right I agree. You know, that's exactly right. You just that's all I can ask. You you nailed it, man. That's it. Be happy in yourself. Don't be a menace to society, which is the opposite. And and live your best life. And like you said, we'll be there to support them. And then we'll be there to also foster those interests. I think that's the important thing too, right? Well, St. Pius X was a private school. It was a Catholic school. And for all intents and purposes, it was a bubble. And when I went to public school, I realized that we were in a bubble. I was placed in all honors classes and I wasn't the smartest guy grade wise at St. Pius, but the level of instruction there was a cut above what was in regular public schools. So it was weird. It was. And I, so I went the same path, right? You, yeah. you went to public, I went to public school too. I think, thank God we went to public school. I yeah. think that rounded us out because it was a bubble. Yeah. And I think those that, no offense to our friends that we're still friends with that went to Catholic and continued in private school, they did not have the experiences that you and I had with me going to Lake Taylor and you going to, you went to Norview, right? No, I went to Maury. Maury, oh yeah, but regardless, right? That was the, supposed the to go to that, Oh, that's right, I thought, that, I was gonna say Granby, but I knew it wasn't, that's why I guessed Norview, but that's what we were saying was it really, I know it rounded me out for the better, you know, so St. Pius as a bubble at least set my morals and I'm glad for that. And the same thing with religion. So I, I, I will tell you, I am not, I'm not religious whatsoever, but I don't regret having gone to Catholic school for those eight years. Cause that set my moral compass and I'm not against religion in general, as long as if that brings you happiness, then yeah. good. It's only when you are throwing it in my face or persecuting me because I'm not in your faith, then yep. you're then that person is losing sight of what is important about religion. And it sounds like you've dealt with it, leaving the bubble as as I have, where I've been in situations where it was almost like a trap of sorts. And it's like, look, you don't need to do this with me. I can think for myself, and you're not about to make me feel bad for having a different opinion and owning it and being comfortable in my skin. So let's just agree to disagree and move on. But people are relentless. Some people. Absolutely. Absolutely. All I can do is just 
keep moving forward and keep being willing to have conversations. You know, it's a, a great tool. I had the same benefits that you had where we had no choice but to go through that. You know, I think there was a class called church. We went to church. <laughs> we sang. Anyway, I got that weird memory. But one of the things that's interesting about you, John, is uh, I've been following you for a long time and all the way back to your first iPhone. And even before that, <laughs> you had probably a gigantic storage capacity uh, what was it called iPod right like, yeah oh my goodness music. you were big on music so let's let's dovetail last port of call here before we dock the boat into music and I, I really want to crack your noggin open and just take me on a journey that you've been on with music and the variety and you know why you've taken so many twists and turns and how it's led to your your latest hobby which I think is amazing so I'm looking forward to you talking about that yeah man music is so important it's it's just like like mathematics and science music brings people together right it's a it's no matter what the language it's in everyone understands music and what it means to them for a lot of people that are into music or you know just culturally music is what brought people together in all the different cultures right it's people that it was that entertainment when there was no other entertainment people can sing and it was like great hey we're gonna enjoy I mean, think how silly a concert really is. We're in, in terms of a rock band, right? You, it's just, you know, thousands of people are, are just there to see five people perform songs, but it's wonderful. It, they give to us and we give back to them. Music is so powerful. As a matter of fact, two of the three essays that I had to write to get into the University of Virginia were all on music, dude. It wow. was they were both on music and I got in. One was just a narrative of uh, explaining a concert. And the second one was actually, it was, truly was explaining how music almost defined your friend group. <laughs> it was very easy or your friend, or it could be chicken and egg where your friend group then chose <laughs> what your, your music tastes were. But I know my high school friends, we bonded so hard over the music that we loved going to concerts together i still remember the very first concert i was able to drive my friends to which was weezer at the boathouse for the blue album uh listen if you are a fan of weezer that's a big deal that we got to see weezer perform wow. the blue album at the boathouse in such an intimate location and so music was so important growing up and then in high school, defining my friend group and our friend group, just we bonded over music. You know, my best friend, Jason, he's a musician and we still bond over, hey man, I just discovered this. You need to listen to this. Like that is if, even though we don't get to talk nearly as much, I always can just reach out and be like, dude, did you listen to this new thing? Awesome. And then we were talking again. It's that simple because of music. And, and then speaking of pandemic, for a while as an adult, and this is something that thankfully the pandemic did for me, was in the last decade, I was listening to podcasts. Here we are on a podcast. I love podcasts. But listening to podcasts on my commute prevented me from listening to music. There's only but so much time, right? Yeah. So during the pandemic, 
when there was no commute to be had, I was listening to music again. And it wasn't until the pandemic did I realize how much I missed listening to full albums, just diving into just listening to the music that I loved. And during that time, I, I had previously had a few records. And if you could see this wall in front of me, now I have over 300 vinyl records. And that led me to like, you know what? I have all this time on my hands. I was productive during the first part of the pandemic, doing all the stuff around my house. I knew that I wanted to do a podcast or a YouTube channel. And I have opinions on music or I just love the idea of sharing music with people. And that's what you know, led me to creating Turntable Time Machine and the brand and the show and everything else. Nice. I know a little bit about branding and I have my podcast. Obviously, it's it's done well, but I, I really attribute that to the quality of guests that I've brought on and the, their contributions to the content, you know, because I'm just the captain. <laughs> I've made some upgrades to my boat with the, the food service and the drinks and the jukebox, but people bring the flavor. They bring, they don't bring controversy. They bring that authenticity, that realness where by the time the boat docks, they've been 100% humanized. And I had a guy that was talking about music and he got into musical theory and he lost me, but I had the biggest smile on my face. <laughs> He was so passionate about what he was talking about. He was so passionate about it and he owned it. He owned his musical journey. He owned the impact music had on his life. Joe was the same way. Joe Martinez Berry. He started oh, talking man. about his journey in Italy and how he got into school for music, but going to Italy and some of the people that he connected to and with. And it was just mind boggling, but music has its own impact on me. Getting back to frequencies, certain frequencies resonate with your mood. Like I, I love jazz. I also love country. I also yeah, man. love blues. I like those types of genres of music, but I'll listen to damn near anything because my interests are in being enlightened. You know, music is the ultimate enlightenment catalyst for me for me you know i am big on nostalgia you know for me that i know it's really resonating with me when whether it's a lyric or it's a, a chord or it's a melody where it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up or i can reflect on a memory a time in my life you know failed romance whatever it is right? yeah man absolutely it's there yeah. that that music just like smells i think music like you said the nostalgia factor of it all i definitely associate certain songs certain artists certain albums to specific people and times and places in my life as i'm sure you do too mm -hmm. and it's the ultimate tool to influence feelings and I, I, I was following what you were doing a long time ago. You had an extensive library of songs and you exposed me to some songs that I don't think I would have heard if you hadn't been the one to put it out there into the universe. I remember you, you had posted something. I don't know if this was during the MySpace days. I think it was during the MySpace. It was days. probably MySpace. Yeah. 
fireflies. Yeah, right. <laughs> fireflies. That, that was a controversial. That was controversial uh, a decision. Well, some because you know I was comparing them to the Postal Service, who was one of my favorite bands. So it, you know, Fireflies and you know um, that band who, wow, the name is escaping me. But that song, Fireflies, I was like, hey, this sounds like Postal Service 2.0. And then all the music snobs came out and were saying that they're nowhere near as good as Postal Service. And you know, while that is true. Good songs are good songs, and Fireflies is a good fucking song. And you can you can DM me, you can at me, bro. If we'll fight over that, uh, <laughs> my decision to put that out into the world, and just like you said, you know, people would be surprised that you like country. You know what? Guess what? There are good songs in every genre. Yep. It's you need people need to open and expand their horizons, and I'm glad that I was able to do that for you and and that's another thing that you know I think at some point if I wasn't forced down the path I was with education uh, and you know the pressures of picking a certain career like I think being a DJ would have been something I would have been phenomenal at and that's almost part of what I'm doing with the podcast right and the YouTube channel is it's very similar to not only a VH1 countdown show, but also the way that I present the songs. It's like I have my own radio show. Yep. Yep. I, I got that feel when I listened to the 80s one. And I, for a lot of the songs that you were talking about, I just, I closed my eyes and I was taken back to a certain time in San Diego or just a certain movie, right? And yeah. boy, that artist's heyday, right? Whitney yeah. Houston crying out loud cindy lauper you know some right. some big stars at that juncture in the 80s but i'm excited for the 90s i really am yeah i'm excited to have you on my podcast so i i think we're gonna have that collab happening here shortly in the future absolutely but i hope that you have enjoyed your time aboard my vessel i mean we got into some deep water certainly but i think that those that have stayed with this uh, content, which I think is just going to hit home with a lot of people, will acknowledge that, yeah, we covered a lot of ground and we talked about things that were real and that matter to a majority of the listeners, pretty much all of the listeners, because we all had those moments in our childhood where we didn't know how things were going to turn out. Like for me, I could have stayed on the East Coast, but that just didn't feel like that was my path. For starters, I didn't know my father. So me ending up back in California was my way of jumpstarting that connection and getting to know him without him being in the Navy anymore. Awesome. Okay. I can check that off. And we got really close and, you know, he gave me room and board. I pursued my dream of going to San Diego State. And ultimately, I've, I've stayed in California ever since then. But that whole choice helped mold me into who I am today just like the choices that you've made have molded you into who you are and the discoveries that you've made along the way which kind of takes me into as I drop the uh, anchor and wrap it around the uh, dock here the port words of wisdom what words of wisdom do you have John Cachero for our listeners what do you want to leave folks with I think it's as simple as this as cliche as it is be true to yourself be the best you that you know you can be and if you still don't know who that is 
then you need to go out into the world and experience life so that you can find out who you are and you follow that path to be the best you and be the real you. That's it. Yeah, I can get behind that, John, because I think it's important to be authentic. I think it's important to be comfortable in your own skin. I think it's important to take risks in order to find your path. And I think sometimes you head down a path and the best thing that happened was that you realized, well, fuck, man, that's not the path for me. And either something hops you off of that path or you hop yourself off of that path, you know, but don't be afraid to connect would be what I would add on to that because it's the connections. Think about what it meant for you to go to UVA, to go to college, to get exposed to all of these different people, small walks of life, the coursework, you know, your job was to reflect, to think about what it is that you wanted to be to challenge yourself and you came out i think different how could you not yeah i came out enlightened i liked the night school crowd to be honest with you i started out at community college because i didn't have the grades to get into san Diego state as an out-of-state student that was my destiny and those night school people were motivated not only because they were paying for it out of their own pockets with their full-time jobs but they were in their 40s. They were deep into their lives. They had kids. They had responsibilities. I was like, I'm this young, dumb, 18-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, whoa. But I thrive on mentorship, right? And yeah, uh, yes. part of connecting is you never know what connection is going to end up being a mentor for you for improving your brand, you know, podcasting yeah. or uh, figuring out how to walk in your own skin as someone with ADHD or someone with the same musical interest as you that can help you achieve a specific objective. Right? Mike, I have better parting words now that I've had a thought uh, well, and, you, and, and you brought it up. No, the I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, sir. Go for it. You said it with mentorship, pass on knowledge. That is so important. Uh, I find myself in this midlife just, you know, almost to the fact that I wasn't taught the things I felt I should have been taught from my father, like we had talked about earlier, like, if I can mentor the youth, I will do it. If they're willing to listen to me, I make sure that conversations I have with people are meaningful. And that if I can give them any of my wisdom, I would love to give them that wisdom to make their life easier, whether I know them or if it's a stranger that I just met. It's so important to pass on that experience and I wisdom. Agree. And a, a lot of my podcasts have had this common theme of mentoring and authenticity and family and being true to yourself, right? And I am going to put you on the spot one more time. Thank you Do for it. those words of wisdom one and 1.0 and 2.0, but here it is. So we're talking about being in our forties, right? Yep. Midlife. And there's a word cliche, as it may seem midlife crisis. If you were to give me an antonym for midlife crisis, midlife replace crisis with some other word, what would it be in terms of that other path, that oh. positive path? It's it, that's easy, man. It's, it's a uh, next step evolution. That's all we're doing. 
it's not a midlife crisis. Now we're into that next part of our life. We're still evolving. You should always evolve. Yeah, I agree. And that's what this podcast has been for me. It's been a testament to my evolution. Like, hey, I'm not done rebranding. And there's nothing wrong with rebranding. Sometimes bad things have to happen to you or things that scare the shit out of you in order for you to rebrand, retool. And sometimes you need people to help you retool. But that midlife evolution, I think that is the perfect word. I'm glad that you used the word evolution because I think this pandemic has showed us all that we can evolve if we want to, if we choose to. Absolutely. Like, I've got a foreign language passion that I've been nurturing and I've got a 476 day streak on Duolingo where every day I've gone in and done one of multiple languages that I've been working on. And that's just me challenging myself. And now I'm back well, to learning. Hey, again. Captain, I'm going to put you on the spot. Go you ahead. Bust, bust me out a, uh, a phrase and tell me what it means. Come on. A good one. Not I don't need to know about no biblioteca. Okay. Well, biblioteca paruski. What do you want me? What, what language do you want? Do you want? <laughs> do you want English? Do you want French? Do you want Russian? Do you want Dutch? I want French. Give me French. Okay. Uh, so let's see. Uh, hmm. I got. I'm getting you. No. 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 All right. All right, uh, Captain. Uh, uh, let me think about it. Let me think about it. Oh damn you, John Kachero. <laughs> oh man. You done put me on the spot four times in this podcast. Okay, uh, alors, la vie, c'est la mer. <laughs> Hello, that life, I, I know a little bit. Go ahead, what, what does that mean? Okay, life, what? it's shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost like life's a bitch and then you die, I mean. Oh, I love it, no, that's great, man. You're gonna step in it, make every moment count. And the thing about, I hate to tie it back to suicidal thoughts and ideations and, you know, people thinking about ending their time on this planet. And, you know, that's kind of, it's, it's a sad reality that some people actually are able to execute. But the reality is there's no coming back from that. Yeah. Right. So if you can rebrand, if you can re-evolve, if you can recenter and pursue a passion and, you know, this pandemic has had us all with all this free time to reimagine our realities, whether it's adding fitness, whether it's adding, you know, more deliberate connections, whether it's just embracing, challenging yourself. The whole point is that, you know, life's a bitch. It's, it's not easy. It's easy for kids to learn foreign languages, but it's really hard for adults because you're set in your ways, your brain, for sure. has all these very defined paths already worked out. And your brain's constantly saying, why the fuck would I do it any other way than oh, yeah. what I know how to do? So add you and your diagnosis. That's a new reality for you. Yeah, you know? that's absolutely. A step in the thought process that you always pretty much have to factor in. What the fuck? Oh, yeah. You know? So I, I totally commend you for uh, walking that path and embracing that diagnosis uh, but I, I, I whipped up that French saying just because, uh, you know, the, the funny thing about when I lived in France, my last semester of college was that my brain was rejecting the immersion process. It was painful. And mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit, I can't eat. I can't socialize. I can't get from point A to point B if I don't 
evolve. If there we I go. Don't reimagine if I don't put in the effort to try. And when I tried, I got respect. People mentored me. You know, they they saw that I was putting in the work. And you know, I got to the point where when I left and when I went back, my God, I was a machine. I was <laughs> function. I could bring people with me and be a tour guide. I was actually whoa. I felt like you know that was a new home for me. So yeah, I. I I was gonna come up with some smart ass thing to say in Russian or in Dutch, but you know, no, that's jokes that would be for Dutch or Russian people that I know, and it wouldn't have the same uh, as what I said. No, no, that's perfect. What, what we need to do, what I'll do in English, it would just need to make t shirts that say always evolve, man. That's it. I like always that. evolve. Well, John, again, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hopping aboard my cruise ship. I hope you enjoyed this chat journey as much as I did. And I look forward to hopping on your podcast and uh, really giving people the business as far as '90s music. I'm, I'm there really you go. gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring the flavor. I really am. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. You're gonna be on Turntable Time Machine. That's TurntableTimeMachine.com. I'm Turntable TM Pod on all the BS socials. <laughs> I, I look forward to the collabs man and i hope I, we can do this again yeah and and one last uh note about being a captain and just the persona of captain caveman uh what's funny about it is my father was in the navy he was a lieutenant commander but he also pursued his passions outside of his post naval career he was he was a project manager rebuilding ships for uh, like uh, what ended up getting bought out by north of grunman well after he clocked out he would go call bingo at the casino you know, so <laughs> he had that radio voice that bingo voice so i find it very comforting slash interesting slash meant to be that i end up doing this yeah man i love it i, I look forward to hopping aboard and again thanks for uh, coming aboard thanks for listening listeners pious the 10th folks you know, I hope you enjoyed this and got some laughs out of what we were talking about, just shooting the shit. And uh, Jake Schultz, if you're listening, you're still the man. You got the shot. <laughs> My God. If I had a do-over, I would want to beat that team. <laughs> <laughs> Be five foot eight when I'm doing it, too. All right, y'all. Captain Caveman, out. <laughs>